those deep level of relationships with people. Relationship is so crucial. That's why we do things like this new group night is because we need each other to grow. Today we're going to talk about impact. How do we make an impact in the world? And I want to start by introducing you to a friend of mine up on screen here. Um, in a moment here, this is Grimmy. Grimmy was a little dog. My wife works with animals. And Grimmy had a really bad day. Grimmy got hit by a car. Uh, such a small dog. And I, I didn't bring the before pictures because I didn't want to see communion reappear. It was pretty bad, right? Notice she's, she's got the sweater on it so that she won't lick her incision. And then she's got her leg all bandaged up. But if you look closely enough, you notice there's something missing. She only has one back leg. My wife had to remove it entirely because of the damage that was done. Grimmy is a very sweet-natured dog. Not ours. Adopted out to someone else. But the thing about Grimmy is she'll always live with three legs now. She'll never be as quick as like our dogs. And I even have a really slow dog who could still out-sprint her. She'll be able to get by, but she won't ever be able to thrive the way that she was intended to live. Does that make sense? She's never going to be able to do everything that a fully, a fully formed dog is able to do. Good thing is she has the attitude to keep up with it, but all of us in our lives, there are times where we feel a little bit like Grimmy, where we know God's called us to make an impact. We know that God is inviting us in, but we feel like we're running on on one fewer legs than we should have, which is a really bad deal for us, right? We're running and trying, and the reality is life is just eating our lunch. There's so much going on, so much distraction, so many things drawing us and our attention away from Jesus and from the impact we can make. And when we look at our, our life at the end of the day, it looks very mundane and really not much different from the people around us. It's so easy to go through life not making an impact. But did you know that Jesus designed us, hardwired us to make an impact for his kingdom? That's what we're going to be exploring today. So if you're with me in John chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 23, but let me pray. God, thank you so much for choosing to give to us. Thank you for inviting us into this adventure with you, for giving us so freely of forgiveness and wholeness and love and hope that we never could have apart from you. Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts today, that you would challenge us, that you would carry us. We love you, God. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. One quick disclaimer and warning, you might want to tuck your toes in. Jesus is going to step all over him this morning, okay? He stepped all over him when I was preparing for this sermon. So, Surgeon General's warning, this is going to hurt, right? Okay, John chapter 12, starting in verse 23. Jesus replied, the hour has come. He's talking to his disciples. The hour has come for the Son of Man, referring to Jesus himself, to be glorified. In the Bible, we learn that the way he's about to be glorified is he's on his way to the cross, Jesus is going to die. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. This is a pretty powerful passage, and Jesus is being very clear about a lot of things. Here's the analogy. We have wheat. We live in an area where there is a lot of wheat fields and things like that. But we live around, like, freaky wheat, because in America we like to make everything bigger and better, and like mutant wheat. 
on average, if you go around the world, you'll find wheat on a stalk with about five different heads coming off it on average. And each head has about 22 grains of wheat. That means one stalk of wheat coming from one single wheat seed produces 110 more seeds. It's a pretty significant increase, right? 110 more seeds. There's this impact that Jesus is saying that death can happen. He knows once that seed falls to the ground, it's going to lie there dormant in the earth and eventually split open and germinate and this is going to come out of it. It's very clear that Jesus is referring to himself here. Very clear. Because he's about to go to the cross. The gospel we talk about so much, it's this good news about Jesus. It says that Jesus came He's God in the flesh. And God looked at you and me, saw us stuck and hopeless and helpless in our sins, saw us running away from him so that we couldn't save ourselves. And so God came down to earth and he lived the perfect sinless life that we never could. And it culminated in Jesus, the one who is perfect and sinless, unjustly being executed on behalf of us. He laid down his life so that we could live. See, that's Jesus talking about himself dying and out of him coming so much more life. In that one act, he vanquished sin and death. So absolutely, this passage talks about Jesus. But did you catch who else this passage talks about? Yeah, us. This isn't just about Jesus. Let me me read this again. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. He's talking about eternity here. Anyone who just clings to their life, they're going to lose it while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Jesus is throwing down a little bit here. Jesus is saying, hey, this isn't just about me on the cross. This is something, if you're choosing to follow me with your life, this is a call to every single one of you to give your life to fall to the ground and die so that I can produce so much more through you. And some, some of you, you, you've heard the gospel before, and I apologize if you've heard it this way. The, the gospel is, okay, Jesus died for your sins. You say yes, you pray a prayer, right? You get baptized, and then you just kind of live your own life and you hunker down until you die. And then we get to be with Jesus. The good news is God designed us for so much more than that. The bad news is that's not the full gospel. The full gospel is that because of the gratitude that we have for what Jesus did for us, because of the work of his spirit living inside of us, we're going to live a totally surrendered and transformed life in Christ. That's the gospel. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into. There's a theologian that when Jesus asks us to come and follow him, he bids us to come and die. Let that sink in for just a moment. That's the call of Jesus on our lives. That's the gospel. And I think about, uh, to use an analogy, a weird analogy, think about breakfast, okay? You've got your plate. You've got bacon and eggs on your plate. And I'm sorry if you're a vegetarian, but I don't have another analogy for you. So we're running with this one today, okay? Bacon and eggs. And if you think about it, think about the chickens, right? They made a contribution to the breakfast, a really valuable contribution, because what's breakfast without eggs? Am I right, right? The chickens made a, a contribution. The pig, though, the pig gave it all, Right? Chickens made a contribution, the pig gave it all. Jesus is inviting us. So many of us, we go through our life thinking, okay, I'll make my contribution, I'll show up, I'll punch my time card, you know, for Jesus. We're kind of like the chicken. Like, yeah, I'll I'll have a new egg tomorrow and a new egg tomorrow. Jesus is calling us to be the pigs. He's calling us to give it all, to literally lay down our lives, to figuratively, as he's talking about, hate our lives. 
for the sake of him and his kingdom. That is a challenging call. Because what does that, what does that include? What does that encompass? The worldly idea of your life and kind of the false gospel I was talking about earlier is that you are going to live your life and you're going to build your own empire, your own kingdom, your own family, your own house, your own wealth. You're going to retire really well. You're going to play well. You're going to, you're going to figure all this out yourself. It's about you. Jesus said, and this is all throughout the Gospels and pull from a variety of places. He says, no, following me means you're going to love the Lord your God with all, not part, all your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and all of your mind. All of that belongs to God entirely if you're going to follow me. He also says it's going to require your time, that's mine, your talents, and then all of your resources, everything that you have, all of it belongs to God. Not only that, everything you do and everything you say, that belongs to Jesus as well. All your hobbies, all your activities. Jesus says, that's the commitment you make to me. I gave all for you to be part of my kingdom. I'm asking for all from you. This is not a small calling. This is a really challenging calling that maybe some of us in the room, we didn't even know this was the calling that Jesus had given us. My encouragement to you is read your gospels. He's going to say it over and over and over again. If you don't give your life to me, you're not worthy of me. This is the calling. And here's the thing, this, this picture of wheat and, and these grain and kernels dying, it's all about impact. What kind of impact can we make for the world? It can be massive. But if I believe that first story, that I'm just supposed to live my life and do my thing and die happy and wealthy and all those sorts of things, I'm missing the opportunity to make an impact. Let's, let's look at some passages here real quick. Jesus is going to talk in Matthew 6. You can turn there or it'll be on the screen. Matthew chapter 6, he starts talking about the basics of life. It's really easy for us to be worried about what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, right? What we're going to drink. He says, God cares for the birds. He gives them food and he cares so much more about you. The flowers of the field are beautiful, but they don't provide clothing for themselves. God provides it for them. Picking up in verse 31 here, it's, Jesus says, So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For us, those are basics, right? Like, of course I'm going to worry about that stuff. Jesus says, quit it. Stop. For the pagans, that's anyone who doesn't follow Jesus, think that. The pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. See, if I believe the narrative that I have to figure it out myself, I'm going to be chasing that stuff for the rest of my life. I'm going to be chasing my own provision, my own happiness, and it's going to take every ounce of energy from me. Jesus says, look, don't worry about those things. Worry about being aligned with my kingdom, being on mission with me, making an impact where you go, and my Father is going to provide for you. The opportunities will come. The jobs will come. The provision will come. God loves you so much more than the birds. He's going to take care of you, but we have to flip our priorities. We have to flip it and say, God, I trust that you're going to provide for me. Are you tracking with me so far? Okay, let's step on some more toes here. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. And this is a passage that was has been really powerful in my life. Uh, the children of Israel come out of Egypt. They were slaves. God delivers them. They walk through a sea because God splits it and dries the ground because God's amazing. And they wander through the desert for 40 years. And God provides incredibly for them there. And then they come into the promised land. And promised land, we, we often have all these ideas about it. Think America, honestly. 
because they have everything they could need, the provision is there, the resources, it's a beautiful land. You might not think that America is the promised land, but trust me, from people around the world, we are the promised land. They're coming into this land finally, and this is what God has to say to the people in Deuteronomy 8, 10 through 18. You can just listen, close your eyes, or follow with me on the screen here. God says, when you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all that you have is multiplied, that sounds a lot like the American dream, right? Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of the hard rock. He gave you that's bread that literally would form on the ground around them in the desert. He gave you manna, right? To eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Pretty powerful stuff. Did you know that every single thing you own actually belongs to God? At best, it's on loan, right? (laughs) He created it all. He owns it all. And what we have, we have the opportunity to honor God with it. If we want to make an impact, we have to be like Jesus, self-sacrificial to the core and to the end. Think again about that kernel of wheat that falls to the ground. That kernel of wheat, could how else could it be used? Well, it could be gathered and crushed and mixed in with thousands of other grains of wheat until it's really indistinguishable and eaten, and the person's really not going to enjoy that particular grain of wheat's impact, Right? That's the impact that we're tempted to have when we don't give everything to God. We just become one in a mass of people. Jesus today is saying, I have an adventure for you. I have so much purpose beyond anything you can even imagine, but it's going to cost you everything. It's going to demand a sacrifice, but we're going to change the world. We're going to make an impact everywhere you go if you're in with me. So that really begs the question, how do we do that? How in the world do we start to live these lives of impact? Because a lot of you out there, you're like, I, this guy up here is crazy. He's talking nonsense. I don't think I could ever do that. And the reality is this is going to be a lifelong journey for us. We're going to learn now to start giving more and more over to God. But it starts right where we're at. And it really starts with three categories of things. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Give your time. Time is a hard one because it seems like it's a non-replenishable resource. Once you use it, you never get it back. But Jesus has a lot to say about that in John chapter 12, if you noticed. He said, whoever saves his life in this world, whoever hoards their time, uses their time for their things in this life, hoards everything in this life, you're going to lose your life for eternity. There's an eternal impact from what's going on here. So the time I have now I can use it all right now. Or, he says, you can hate your life in this life. You can give it to me. You can lay it down for the sake of what I'm trying to do. And it will have an eternal impact. So every hour I have here, how how much is an hour in the scope of eternity? 
literally nothing, mathematically nothing, because I get infinite hours after that. It doesn't matter. That time I have now that I'm trying to hold on to so much really matters nothing in the scope of eternity. And Jesus says, but it will matter if you use it and have the impact that I intend for it to have. Now, many of you out there, you're going, okay, Grayson, I don't have time. And you're probably right. You probably don't have time. And so really the call for God to you is to simplify. Simplify what you're doing. One thing I think about is what am I filling my spare time with? And, and a great example of this is media, right? We're talking about TV and movies, talking about Facebook doom scrolling through social media. We're talking about news feeds, all of these things. They will fill whatever space we give them. They're, they're eternally hungry, right? If that's what I'm doing, I, I can promise you, I know this. I'm going to stand before God someday. And I'm not going to be, say to him, you know what? I wish I'd caught one more episode of Grey's Anatomy, right? I know that that's not going to be on my mind. That's not something that's going to matter in that moment. What am I using my time for now? A lot of times we don't have margin because we've crammed everything to the rack after lives. What is it that I'm investing my time in that is not really that important? Here's another one, and this is going to be a challenging one, and it I might not have as much to speak into this, but here I go anyway. I don't have kids, but I was a kid, and I can tell you what my parents taught me through this. A lot of us, our lives are governed by our kids' schedules, right? Thinking about school, yeah, but we're also thinking about extracurriculars, and I have my kids a triathlete, you know, playing all these sports all the time, and pretty soon you become a glorified chauffeur, right? Like, it's all based on their schedule, and I'm going to deliver them here and there, and then I'm going to try to attend all their games and show, their, show them my support. And I love the idea there that you want to be there for your kids. But here's the problem. If you're sacrificing your ability to give, your ability to be self-sacrificial for the sake of Jesus's kingdom, you're teaching your kids a value system right there. What you're teaching them is, you know what, the things of God, we say they're important, but are they really? What my parents did was we weren't allowed to play more than one sport a year. They just wouldn't let us, you know, and I felt like as a kid, I'm like, that's so restrictive, right? But they wouldn't allow us because they weren't going to be governed by our schedules. They weren't going to let that take over. Also, they wouldn't show up to a game or give us a ride if it was during church was during Wednesday night services or if it was during their home group that they led. They wouldn't do it. We'd have to figure out a friend to give us a ride. And that seems like my parents didn't care. But what my parents did care about was giving and serving. And by the end of high school, I wasn't playing sports anymore. First off, I was no good at them. I'm not competitive, right? That, that's part of it, right? Like, I have a high center of gravity, so playing soccer was a bad thing when people would slide tackle me. That, that, that's neither here nor there, though. The reason why I wasn't playing sports anymore was I'd cut the fire for what it means to be passionate about Jesus, about serving him. I was at the church like four nights a week and serving and teaching Sunday school classes and God built a passion in my heart for his kingdom and things of his kingdom that I couldn't have had otherwise. My parents showed me what was truly important and that set such a good path for my life. Now I messed it up a lot of times going out from there, but they gave me such a foundation to work off saying, no, God's kingdom really is the priority. That might be a challenge for you, some of those things. And there's so many other applications for you. What is it that's taking your time that's disabling you from giving that to Jesus and for his purpose in his kingdom? We just have to learn to be creative with how we use our time. So give your time. That's what Jesus is calling you to do. Second thing, he's also calling you to give your talents. 
And some of you are going to tell me, yeah, yeah, I don't really have anything to contribute. I'm not really that talented. The reality is you absolutely are. You're just talented in ways that a lot of other people are not talented in. Uh, I had a pastor used to say this, and I love this. He'd say, when God was creating you, forming you in your mother's womb, right, and creating you to launch out into the world, he looked at the world, saw what was missing, and he put it in you. God created you uniquely, specially. He put things in you that no one else has. And some of you behind the scenes, that's all you want to do. That is so amazing that that's what you want to do. If you don't know what your gifts are, think about what you do that just comes naturally and you are confused by whether, why other people can't do it. And ask people who really know you and love you, what is it that I have that I can contribute? In 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, we're not going to look at it, but you can write it down if you want. Paul is going to talk about these gifts that God gives us. And he starts out by saying, now to each person, the manifestation of God's spirit, he's talking about these gifts that the spirit's going to work out through us, is given for the common good. Did you know that your gifts, even though you are going to benefit off of them, they're not actually given to you for you? They're given to you for the greater good of people, especially in this context Paul's talking about and in many scriptural contexts in the church. You're given things, you're given these gifts to bring to bear on the greater community there. When I was, when I was growing up, another thing my parents taught me was chores, right? And yes, I was the standard kid who rebelled like crazy, but my dad did not care, right? Like as soon as I was tall enough and strong enough, my mom handed me a little broom and she started to teach me how to clean and I did a terrible job. She'd go and clean after me, right? But they were teaching me, everyone in this family is gonna be a part of this family. This is how a family works. We all contribute to the success and helping this family thrive. They also taught it to me in the church. My parents, there was never a single Sunday that I can remember where they went and they didn't contribute in some way, shape, or form. They didn't just show up because they recognized, you know what, Sunday morning is for, it's not for me to get filled. God will do that. He's just amazing that way. Sunday morning is actually about me coming in worshiping God. When did I twist it to make it about me? When did I start coming into services and worshiping myself by expecting things? My parents said, yeah, that's not how it works. When we go, we're part of this family. Grab a broom. Let's, let's get going. I, and I love the work that God does around here, Sunday mornings and through the week, the different ministries. He's doing powerful things. But a lot of times, we're kind of like a three-legged dog. A lot of times, we're like, man, this is great, but there are more people that God has brought. Uh, roughly about a quarter of people at Real Life actually are serving and, and giving financially around here meaning there's so much more that God wants to do. That's, for me, I get excited about that. God could really impact the city. He could help our kids grow better. We could reach the youth in the city. If we all said, you know what, God? You've called me to give of my talents. I'm gonna give of my talents. There's this huge invitation from God, and he wants to do miracles through us. Did you know that the gifts, no matter how big or small they, you think they are, that God has given you, can make an eternal, powerful impact for his kingdom? So God's calling us to give, he's calling us to give our talents. The third thing he's calling us to give is our tithes. Tithes, that's a weird word for a lot of us. Tithe means a tenth. It's scripturally, this is Old Testament and New Testament, talks about it. A tithe is 10% of our income goes right back to God. And the idea there is it goes to the temple or in our context, the church. 10% of our income goes right back to him. It's not because God needs or wants your money. God, remember what I said? He owns everything anyway. It's because God wants your heart. 
It's because God wants you to rely on him, not on your wealth. Now, a lot of you, as soon as I started talking about money, immediate wall came up, arms crossed, right? There's a lot of us out there who are like, I I just don't want it. Nobody can tell me what to do with my money. If Jesus is Lord of your life, yes, he can, and he will. (laughs) It, It all belongs to him anyway. That's Jesus's wealth. The reason why we have such a visceral reaction to giving in America is because did you know our country actually does have gods, like national gods? They're very subtle, and we wouldn't call them that necessarily, but a god is anything that I'm giving my affection, my time, and my attention to, and just pouring that into it. Money is absolutely an American god. Our culture has taught us this is what you need to rely on, this is what you need to focus on. Part of tithing, and we talk about it, Garrett talked about it earlier, we talk about it every Sunday. Why do we do that? It's not because Jesus needs your money. It's because Jesus wants to break your dependence on wealth. He wants to break your dependence on the things of this world and say, I'm your provider. And this is a weird analogy he uses, but he says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I own everything. My resources are endless. I will take care of you. Trust me with 10% of your finances. And here's the crazy thing. When I trust him with the 10%, I start to realize pretty quickly, oh yeah, the 90% is actually his too. And he's the one who gets to determine what I do with it. It's so much better. Yes, I'm going to buy food with it, right? Yes, we're going to take care of our kids with it. But when my wife and I started trusting God with our finances, he made us really excited about being generous and helping people out at at realizing it's all yours. What What impact do you want us to make with our money? Think about your tithes as they're coming in. Did you know that 10% of all the tithes that come in, we as a church actually give a tithe. We send it right back out the door to various, to the One Heart Center, to church planning, to alcohol and drug addiction facilities, those sorts of things. We actually send 10% out. We also set aside a portion of the money to help people with rent and utilities that, that they're just struggling with. We also spend a lot of the money on the ministries, the various things that we're doing to impact the world here. Your money is making a huge impact whether you recognize it or not. It's going forward and it has wheels. You're also paying the staff members, our team, to be here to help raise up leaders, to help empower people to become who God's called them to be. That's also where it goes. God, that's what he wants to use our finances for. God's going to take those dollars and cents that we have, and he's going to multiply it amazingly for his kingdom. But he says, I want you to be free from bondage. I don't want you to be reliant on wealth because it's so tricky. It's so slippery. It will take you and it will run with you, and that'll be the rest of your life. And that's, if you notice, that's kind of the theme here. How do we make an impact for the kingdom? Self-sacrificial service. It's probably not what you came in hoping to hear today, right? Is, oh man, it's going to cost everything. Why does Jesus ask that of us? Is it because he's a tyrant and he just wants to make us miserable? Is it because uh, he's, he's really in rough shape and he needs our help? No, the reason why Jesus invites us into it, really there's a couple big reasons. One is he wants to reach the world for him. He want to experience relationship with him and the life that he gives. He's desperate to bring people in. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, son of man, again referring to himself, I came to seek and save the lost. He will do everything he can to reach the lost. And he wants to do it with you. He doesn't want to do it on his own. I've, I've, I've battled with God in prayer about that one before. Like, God, why don't you just go and save everyone? Why don't you go and preach the gospel to all these people in other countries? 
God said is because in Genesis chapter one, from the very beginning of my story, I created you to be in relationship with me and that we were gonna take care of this place together. And God says, I have not given up on my first plan. I still wanna do it with you. God wants to reach the world. The other aspect of it is God's doing it not to just kind of rain on our parade, but to actually invite us into a life that is better than anything we've ever experienced before. The world will teach us, hey, you should have a good life full of good things and lots of margin for you to go and pursue your hobbies and those sorts of things. You go for this good life. Jesus says, no, no, no. I don't promise you good life. I promise you abundant life. Above and beyond. And this abundant life, it's not going to look like that good life. You may not have all the bells and whistles and all the toys and you're actually going to have to give a lot for this life. But this life is going to fill you like no other life can. It's going to give you hope and purpose in a future. It's going to make it so that your life right now is a continual adventure of depth of relationship with me where we're going to make an impact on this world. Do we want to make an impact or not? And I look out at the faces here that so many of you I know, and what I know is you are, you do want to make an impact. You do want to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. I know it because I see you inviting people. I know it because I see you getting your hands wet in the baptismal tank. I see it because of the way that you're pursuing people. And so when Jesus calls us to give it all for him, to consider everything we have his, he's inviting us in a life that is so much better than life we could have ever come up with on our own. So much better than the hollow, shallow, empty life the world offers. Now, some of us in this room right now, you're going, oh, you said you're going to step on my toe and I feel like you got all the way up to my kneecaps, right? Like this is a lot. And I realize that I am not, I'm not giving of my time, my talents, my ties. I'm not there. And what I, I would say to that is I'm so excited for you because you're off on an adventure now. God's going to take you and run with you, but you've got to be willing to say, you know what, God, no holds barred. I'm yours. Take me, use me work in me and through me. You may have to do some wrestling with God in your heart. Will I allow God to have that kind of access to my life or not? Because God's not going to force you. He never will. But he's going to invite you into this life that is so much better. Some of you have been giving and serving. And like me, I, I give and I serve. But as I was writing this, God was also trampling on my feet, right? He was pushing my buttons and I realized, you know what? Yes, I do give and serve. But do I give it all? Do I consider it all his? Or do I just go into autopilot sometimes? Do I just mail it in? For some of you, you're realizing, God, you have done miracles and I'm ready for more. I'm ready for that next step, whatever it is. Some of you in this room, you don't even know Jesus. Who is this Jesus guy you keep talking about? He sounds amazing and he is. He wants to give you life that is so full and so free. What I would invite you to today is, yes, eternity is at stake. We either get to go and spend eternity with God in heaven or in hell separated from him. And God has done everything he can to get you into heaven. And the invitation he gives you is surrender, submit. I want to take you and change everything about your life so that it is so full of If that's you, your decision today is to say yes to Jesus, to surrender to him. And your first step of obedience is baptism. We love to baptize people. We just baptized three people last service who said yes to Jesus. And you can join them. You're not alone. If that's your step, 
my invitation to you during our last song is to head to the back. We'll have a team there, as shirts, shorts, towels, everything you could possibly need to take that step of faithful obedience to God. Regardless of who we are, we all have decisions to make. We all have places to go. We all have things that Jesus wants to do in and through us. Let's spend a moment in prayer, inviting God to do what only he can do. Lord, we're thankful for you. We're thankful that you were that kernel of wheat that fell to the ground 2,000 years ago, that died, that gave your own life. You hated your life for our sake. God, we're so thankful that you gave it all for us. And we're floored by the fact that the infinite eternal God would give it all like that when we deserve none of it. God, build in our heart a passion and a hunger to be just like you, to give you everything because you gave us everything. Lord, we pray that you would make impact in our lives every single day of our lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, here at Real Life on Sundays. God, we ask that you would take us and that you would do miracles. God, break through any hardness of heart, any barriers and obstacles that exist inside of us, because God, we don't want to live a half-life anymore. We love you, God, with all our hearts. We surrender, we submit. We pray all this in Jesus' name today. Amen. Amen.